brought me out of darkness you have filled me with peace giver of mercy you're my help in time of need Lord I can't help but sing Faithful you are Faithful forever you will be Faithful you are All your promises are yes and continuing our sermon series, God, Life, and Our Expectations, and uh, the last two weeks, we're rounding out this summer series this week and also next week, and we're talking about 
the fun things like biblical prophecy, end of the world kind of stuff. Um, I don't think there's a week that goes by that I don't get either an email or a comment from friends, family, from one of you guys, just kind of either hinting or implying like, it really, like it must be happening like now, like everything is ending like next week, right? We're just kind of waiting this out for seven more days, like that kind of tone. And uh, I, I get it, you know, that it's, we, we live in a crazy world, right? We, we all know this. And so I want to talk about what do we expect? You know, the Bible has a lot to say about end times kind of things, right? Like, what do we expect? from the idea of the return of Christ, the end of the cosmos, as the Bible speaks of. Well, there's usually a handful of, you know, different kinds of people when you want to tackle these subjects. Some of them are, are the, and this may be some of you, and this was me, and I'll admit partially still is, the news junkies, right? They just like stare at the headlines. You know, the, the Bible opened the headlines, like there's this over here. And then you get this whole graph behind you and there's like a thousand marks everywhere, this big complex web of like, we're figuring it out. It's all happening, right? You know, there's that kind of person. There's people who then go farther and get into like numerology. And it's like, well, if you just substitute the English letter or the Hebrew letter, the Greek for their number and you put them together, then you get 666. And believe it or not, that means that Prince Harry is the Antichrist. That's a thing, all right? That's a real thing. Google it. Don't Google it, actually. Don't do that. But it's real, okay? Prince Harry is the Antichrist because his name means in numbers 666. There's, there's all that kind of stuff everywhere, okay? Other people are just like, I don't know. I don't care. Whatever happens, happens. It's going to pan out. Whatever happens, I'm just kind of like clocking out and not even, you know, those portions in the Bible are there, but whatever. I'm moving on. There's those of us in the middle who are like, yeah, there's, there's a conversation there. We shouldn't maybe obsess over it, but the Bible talks about it. We got to take it seriously. So how do we, uh, today we're, t we're walking through Matthew 24, the whole thing. Hopefully it won't take three hours and it, it really, really shouldn't. So we're summarizing Matthew 24, which is a, a really important part of the teachings of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew. And, um, I, I wrestled with like, how do I help you guys equip you all to really try to read responsibly biblical prophecy? Now, um, I have a slide here in a second. I, I'm, I steal most things. If you think I say something that sounds good, I usually have stolen it from somebody else. But this is a Daniel original, all right? This is, this is rare. I, I, I made this up, okay? So here's our slide. And with the purple slide, maybe it's a pumpernickel sandwich. This is a prophecy sandwich. Okay, bear with me. This is gonna make sense. Just hold on, okay? So when we look at biblical prophecy... There are generally three layers, okay? If you're new to the Bible and you're just like not even read the whole thing yet, this is hopefully a tool to help you, okay? Just when you eat a sandwich, you're gonna start thinking about biblical prophecy now. So there's usually about three layers to most of the prophecy in scripture, okay? Remember the Bible is written thousands of years ago. And so there was always the original intended, you know, audience that were thousands of years ago. And so in biblical prophets, and Jesus here is, is putting on his prophet hat, right? Like he is, in Matthew 24, he's talking like a prophet. There's always the first audience, and usually like a real historical event that the prophecy is initially kind of anchored to, okay? 
Um, in the, the case of our text today, Matthew 24, it's the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, the Jewish wars when Rome basically came and just wiped out Jerusalem between 66 AD and 70 AD. That is the historical event that is kind of the background noise of the entire chapter of Matthew 24. But usually when you read prophecy, you think like, yeah, there's like a real event, right? Like Isaiah 7, you know, that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Well, we know that was about Jesus, but in chapter 8, Isaiah had a son and he was called actually Emmanuel. So there was a real event, right, in that prophecy, but there's still something bigger. It's like there's a partial fulfillment, but there's still something bigger that's going to happen with that prophecy. There's a second layer, which is the middle of the sandwich, the good stuff, I don't know. Is like, it's kind of the future generations that read the prophecy that are outside of that first initial event, but it still has application and meaning for them. We're going to see how Jesus uh, does talk about a real historical event, but also looks as, you know, forward into the future where you and I can glean and grasp things that he's talking about that even just last week, things were, you know, fulfilled once again in Matthew 24, as we're going to see. And that final layer on the bottom there is the final generation where this, you know, prophetic, you know, announcements, the final generation that sees it all. And in the case of Matthew 24, it's the prophecy of Christ once again returning, coming on the clouds and every eye will see him. Whatever that generation is, that's that third layer. Now, the reason why I threw the sandwich analogy up there is because when, you know, the prophets give their prophecy, it's kind of like they're, they, they're, God gives them the, 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 the prophecy, which is like a sandwich, they eat it. And as they're talking out, like all three layers are kind of like chomped up together and they're all just kind of put out there. And it's a little hard sometimes to figure out in this prophetic chapters of the Bible, like which one is which layer? Because sometimes they're blended and kind of thrown in together and it gets a little difficult to like nuance and pick it apart. Oh, that's that first generation. Oh, this is like the final generation. Oh, this is us. This is actually a place. It gets a little muddled. Hence why there's a thousand, you know, I read over a hundred pages of commentary on Matthew 24 and there was literally like scarcely agreement from people on the nuances of meaning in Matthew 24, right? Because it's complicated. There's a lot going on, right? But as we do that exercise, I hope this equips you now to, to do that with my silly um, sandwich. And you can take that off the screen now so you don't stare at my distracting slide the whole time. Um, I hope that equips you when you read the prophetic material in the Bible. But the most important thing, I believe, it's not so much, you know, getting obsessed with that first event or the future generation. You know, those things are there and they're important. But there's always, you know, like an actual way that it impacts your life today and should actually potentially alter your day's plans, alter your life's plans. Like it, the Bible speaks to today. All of it does, including chapters like Matthew 24. So we can't miss the forest for the trees. You guys tracking with me? I'm done with the boring intro stuff. Let's look into Matthew 24 now. I hope that's helpful. Here's the roadmap for today, Matthew 24. In terms of the coming of Christ, we got to read the signposts. We can't be deceived, number two. Number three, when will he come back? Like the time, right? Like when is he coming back? And then the fourth and final point will be be prepared. Be prepared. 
Let's dig in. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 24, page 981 in your red pew Bibles, open it up. Fascinating stuff. I had a great time preparing this week for this. I pray that God uses this. I want to pray just for the the blessing over our time today as we're um, reading this. Jesus, uh, this is a complex chapter with lots going on, but Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive the word that you have for us. I pray, Jesus, you would give us open ears to listen to your spirit, Lord. Lord, your scriptures are our authority. We come beneath them, Lord, and I pray that this morning they would guide us, Lord, into the life that you have called us to live as Jesus' followers. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the gospel, for your life, for your death, and for your resurrection. Speak to us, Jesus, this morning, we pray in your holy name. Amen. Matthew 24, number, point number one here is read the signposts. Let's dig in. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, they said, when will this happen? Oh, I'm sorry, I've skipped ahead. I don't know what I was doing. Let's start over. Verse one, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you, says Jesus here, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So this temple complex that was there when Jesus was there, it's height of glory. It was a 35-acre complex. It was over 1.5 million square feet. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. If you can wrap your mind around that they found one of the cornerstones to this huge facility, and the stone itself weighs over 600 tons. I still have no idea how they moved it (laughs) where they did, right? This is a massive complex. Just out, the outside of it is just covered in gold or white, bright stone. I mean, it was an amazing spectacle. Took decades to build. And they're walking around. Just, if you look at the verses right before this, Jesus is kind of, he's actually weeping over the city that has rejected him, saying, desolation is coming to your house. And his disciples are like, you mean this one? Like, Look, Jesus, this place is huge. It's probably indestructible. Really? Like desolation is coming to this place? Aren't you impressed by this, Jesus? Like, don't you? And he's like, no, no, no. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Now, first layer of the sandwich here, that's a real event. It actually happened. Um, You're looking at about uh, uh, 40 years-ish or so after this time you have the destruction of the temple. Now, Matthew's writing before this event. Okay, some of our oldest manuscripts predate this time. Um, And so you have uh, the first, you know, early readers of this would have been like, yep, I know exactly what he's talking about because they estimate over a million people died during the Roman siege on Jerusalem. This was a huge, massive and horrifying event that took place. If you were alive in the first century and you read this, Matthew's talking to you and like, yep, I know exactly what he is talking about here. 
Now, the disciples are hearing about this, right? They just assume like something of that magnitude of this ginormous temple, which by the way, it was so huge, the Romans had to actually, actually give up on the platform itself. They couldn't, it's still there today, actually, right? It was so just uh, incredibly built. Um, but the, you know, all the structures were torn down. The disciples just assumed like if this thing is going away, that means like the, the end of the age must be happening. Like this, that must be the end, Jesus, right? That's probably the same kind of one package event. If this is getting destroyed, that must be your coming, the end of the age. When, like how soon, Jesus, are these things going? And so now he gives us some signposts. You know, you're driving down 95 and you see mile markers every quarter mile or so, right? Little signposts. And then the, the signs say the towns that are coming up and the exits. And so you're looking out for your sign for your exit. Jesus, start, he starts giving his disciples those mile markers to say, here's what's coming up, guys. Here are the, here are the signs of these things coming up. Now, as we're working through it, remember, keep that sandwich in your mind, all right? He's chewed up that, those three layers, and as he's talking, there's going to be some mixture of all three of these layers coming out all at the same time, as a good prophet would do. Verse 4, he continues on. Jesus answers, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars, you will hear rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginnings of birth pains. Now again, this first audience, right, they there was uh, huge earthquakes that happened in that, in that generation. Pompeii, Italy in 67 AD actually had a massive earthquake. Seneca said that Pompeii was reduced to ruins even before the volcano erupted, right? Um, and this, the second layer, is those words apply to us today? We know what's going on in Haiti right now, right? These things are still happening, right? Every generation has experienced a version of these things, okay? And, and, and Jesus seems to hint that one day, though, they're going to stop because they're all just birth pains, right? They're all just symptoms of one event that's eventually going to come our way. So again, all these signs have existed in every generation. We have false prophets Deceiving many. We have wars. We have famines, you may say. Well, I mean, it's just really bad today. It's never been this bad before. In some ways, that is true. But don't forget that, like, and I'm trying to ease your anxiety some, maybe. And hopefully by the end of our time today, you'll have less anxiety about this subject, all right? But don't forget that, like, 50% of Europe was wiped out in the Black Plague, right? Like, there's been some really rough times in history, extraordinarily rough times. Things are not smooth today, but some generations have seen it worse than most, okay? So perspective is always helpful when you're walking through these things. But ultimately, yes, there are signs we should be looking around for, as every generation should, when these things occur around us. But Jesus keeps going with more signs, more signposts, more mile markers towards the end of the age and his coming. Verse 9, let's keep going. Then you will be handed over, says Jesus, talking to his disciples. Then you will be handed over to, to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. 
At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Again, first audience, they had a lot, of, they had a rough time. The church had a rough time getting started. A lot of people died. A lot of people were persecuted for centuries at the beginning of the church. Today, there's over 340 million Christians living in places even now with high levels of persecution and discrimination. Um, I think it's um, uh, every year there's, yeah, every year there's 4,700 plus Christians killed. Explicitly, the best estimates can, you know, 4,700 plus Christians annually killed specifically because of their faith, because they identify as a Christian. That's today. That number is higher than it's ever been in church history. Over 4,000 churches annually are attacked or, you know, exploded or arson or those kind of things happen. Over 4,000 annually believers are thrown in jail, arrested, or sentenced, often without trial in these nations. That portion is really bad today, right? That is definitely increased. And Jesus mentions these things. He says, yes, but these are just signposts along the way. And he, he mentions a couple of things I want to stop a minute on, Right? He says, yes, wickedness will increase. The love, the, the, the coldness of love will increase, right? And I think every generation, again, once again, can say, like, yeah, we see some of those things happening in varying ways and differences in each generation. But he says something important that becomes a directive. He says, as we're working through this, as history rolls on and these things and the brokenness of our world is continually shown as these birth pains are continuing, his people, nevertheless, are going out and sharing the good news of him and of his life, of his death, of his resurrection to all nations, to all nations. Now, in, the, in these early church, they didn't know of all the continent. The world wasn't, had, hadn't been fully explored yet. We know the world is even bigger than they thought. And there's still nations today that don't have the good news of Christ. This task is still before us. We are still sharing this gospel to all nations. And just by way of preaching and pausing here, it's maybe easier to go to some other nation and to share the gospel. This is a call to us as well in your daily life, in your weekly life. Is your words and your actions reminiscent of this call to continually bring the gospel out to all nations, which certainly includes your neighbor? your family, your co-workers, right? This is a call for all of us to continue to partake in. You are, indeed, when you spread the gospel, you are joining in thousands of years of Christians that are continually ushering in the end of the age by our making disciples in all nations. Join in this movement, guys, that has been going on for millennia. Let's join so end of the world, you know, end of the temple, end of the age, there's um, uh, it's, all these conversations continue on and it, it gets even crazier in the next few verses. Some more specifics start coming out and Jesus connects it. There's a conjunction. The next verse begins with so because he's continuing similar in the same thinking as he continues on in verse 15. 
And you'll see this is like a real event here. This isn't the stuff that applies kind of to all generations. Now we're looking at something real. Verse 15. So when you see in the holy place, he's referring to the temple and even the innermost parts of the temple, traditionally where the Ark of the Covenant was, probably in the day of Christ, the Ark had been lost. It's the best we know. But um, that's what he's talking about. The most holy place where the presence of God itself dwelt, the Shekinah glory was, the holy place. When you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, read Daniel 9, it's all there. That was about 700 years before this or so. Um, uh, Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down and take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back and get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now this happened to some degree in 168 BC. The temple, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes had walked into the temple, um, put up a statue of Zeus, um, and actually was sacrificing pigs on the altar in the temple. And the Maccabean revolt eventually uh, uh, re, uh, re-sanctified the temple afterwards. And they referred to that as the abomination of desolation. It happened again in 70 AD when the Romans showed up. An even worse desecration occurred, and it was actually destroyed. And as Josephus, the historian, wrote about that event, he used words like, we have never seen destruction like this. The suffering that took place in that war has been unequal. Josephus used these words. You know what's interesting, though? This is a little bit of a nerdier. I'm sorry, but it's okay. Just hang with me here. Christians, for the best they can tell, Christians didn't die. A lot of Christians didn't die at all in the siege of Jerusalem because they had... Matthew and they were looking for the signs and they got out of town and they saw the Romans. They were like, we're, we're out of here. We know it's coming. Jesus spoke about this. So Christians didn't really perish in that time, which is a really interesting thought. This is a real event, guys. This really happened. Now he uses language. It still sounds like there's more, something bigger going on and many would argue there's potentially even a future event that may occur here that may once again, you know, fulfill and maybe ultimately fulfill this portion of Scripture. We don't know. That's some fascinating stuff. We're going to keep moving along. If you want to get lost in that kind of wormhole, read Daniel 9, reread this. There's some fun, interesting things going on there. But now, as we move forward, something, and this becomes very pastoral for us, very meaningful for you and I now, Jesus starts talking about the reality that soon he's going to be missing All these things will be happening, and the implication is, I'm not going to be here, guys. Like physically, like him him standing in front, like, I'm not going to be here when these things are happening. That's why you can't be deceived. That's why I need to pay attention to the signs, because I'm going to be missing. And that's going to be the common thread as we uh, go on the back end of our sermon here, because the next section is about not being deceived. In verse 23, Jesus says this, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and even perform great signs 
and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time, so if anyone tells you, there he is, he's out in the desert, do not go out. Here he is, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, says Jesus, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. He's quoting the Old Testament just in and out, weaving it all throughout here. All the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power, with great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Verse 32, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all of these things, you know that it is, it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Are right, we going to work on this, guys. There's a lot going on here. Hope that moved you, right? I saw some of you sitting there just like your eyes closed, like thinking, this is crazy stuff we just read right here, right? Let's, let's, let's work through this. Again, prophecy sandwich. Got the sandwich back in your mind? Good. First layer. From Jesus' time until the temple's destruction, there's documented Josephus, again, the only real historian we have. He talked about six different major movements that attracted hundreds, sometimes thousands of people around the Jerusalem, Syria kind of area that was claiming to be a prophet like Christ. Samaritan, there's a Samaritan, there's a guy named Thaddeus, there's an Egyptian, there's other people who we don't have their names, and they would gather thousands of people. It's coming, it's happening. He's you know, claimed to be prophets. It never came to anything. And if you didn't know, right now we have Jesus living in Brazil. Did you guys know this? Somebody's claiming to be Jesus living in Brazil, that is. We have another one who is in uh, Siberia with like 10,000 people living around him as he's claiming to be Christ. Again, these things have happened all throughout history. Okay, people coming and Jesus is saying, guys, don't be deceived. He is not living in Brazil. Sorry, he's not in Siberia right now. Because when he comes back, you're not going to miss it. It's not going to be happening in some secret corner of the earth. It's like, oh, really? He's, I didn't see him. Like, when he's here, you'd be like, whoa, he's here. Like, there's, there's no doubt in our minds. Like, you don't stand outside in a lightning storm, and you're staring at the lightning, and it flashes the whole sky, and the person next to you is like, well, I didn't see that. Of course you did. You don't miss lightning if you're staring at it. It happens. You know it's happening. When he returns, every eye will see him, and that gut feeling to say, oh, no. Oh, no, he's here. If they don't know him, 
will occur and every eye will see him as he comes on the clouds with power and with great glory. If you all know the Jesus that will return, read Revelation, that first chapter when John saw him with the eyes like the shining sun and the sword coming out of his mouth and his hair is like flames and feet of bronze. That's the Christ that is coming on the clouds. It's going to happen, friends, and we're all going to see it. Don't be deceived. I will make an admission, though. There's verses in this part of the chapter that I have no idea what they mean. <laughs> and most people, we, you understand, like, this is hard. This generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. Well, we know that hasn't been fulfilled yet. We haven't seen him coming. And scholars debate. They go back and forth. And again, I can't get lost in those kind of nuances here. Okay? Because we know some of these events did indeed happen in that generation. We know that for a fact. And so rather than getting lost in difficulty of things, we have to move forward. But at minimum, don't go to Bobby Smith's YouTube channel who says, nobody knows, you know, when he's coming back, but I do. Like, no, you don't. Okay. Like a lot of people do that. I'm always laugh. It's like, no one knows. We're about to read. Jesus says, yeah, there's going to be signs. Yes, but nobody knows the day, the hours are about to say. And people sometimes, we, they go to these verses and they say, people never really understood them, but I do because God spoke to me and me only. It's like really in thousands of years of history. Now I got to trust you who's probably sitting in your mom's basement and just like talking about this stuff on your iPhone as if you have some special revel- revelation right? It's like the Bible says we're not going to know the day or the hour of these things, okay? So just hint, that YouTube guy about the the day or the hour is not true. Just bear with me. We're going to move on because the question is, should be bearing on your mind, like when is this happening? We, there's signs, the fig tree blossoms. We know as, as things increase here, more earthquakes and more national things, like pay attention. Those things are all signs that's indeed coming as the years go by. But as Jesus is chewing up the layers of the sandwich, as it's hard to pull apart each one word to apply, right? The question begs itself, when is he returning? And in the very next section, he says this, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For the days before the flood, people were eating and they were drinking and marrying and given in marriage up until the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the son of man. Two men will be in the field, presumably just working in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one to be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour you do not expect him. You ever heard of Harold Camping? Remember that guy? Some of you do. Who made, I think collectively, about 12 predictions of days and years and months and, you know. And again, that happens. Don't pay attention to those guys or gals. If, you know, don't pay attention to them. They don't know what they're talking about. The idea here is that when the flood came, like somebody had a wedding scheduled, in other words, right? Like somebody's getting married on Friday, having no idea that the flood was coming. 
and there was a flood. You, don't, you wouldn't schedule your wedding on the day that it's like, hey guys, there's a worldwide flood coming. It's like, great time to get a wedding going. Like, no, they were blindsided by the events. That's the whole point here, is it was a massive unexpected event when the flood came. And Jesus is saying, it's just like the time, like people will be out in the field just working Tuesday morning, they go to work, they're in the field working, boom, he's here. Yes, there's signs we know, but it's still an unexpected event. You will not see it coming when it happens. That's the main idea from this part. And he says, you got to keep watch. You don't know what day or hour is going to come. Therefore, you must be ready. Again, we're getting ready. He's trying to prepare his disciples saying, guys, I'm leaving. Like, I'm not going to be here. I will come back. And he had to be prepared for this long absence that is coming when I physically will not be here. I know the Pentecost and the Holy Spirit's presence, there's so much more to preach about. We can't go through all of it here. We're focusing on Matthew 24 to say, guys, you have to be prepared for my absence. All right. And at the end, he says, if the owner of the house had known at what time and night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. He would have called the police and probably got a hotel that night. Right. He wouldn't have stayed around if he knew there's a guy coming at 2.15 middle of the night and breaking into my house. I'm calling the police, be here at 2.15. I'm going to get a hotel down the street. Like, that's what he would have done. Right. He would have kept watch. He would not have let his house be broken into but you must also be ready because the son of man will come at a time that you don't know. You won't know when he's coming, like that thief in the night. Just boom, and it happens. The main point of this sermon now on the back end is to be prepared. These events are sudden. They come unexpectedly. So does that mean that you need to sit and stare in anxiety? So did you shit, uh, sit and like be shaking in your boots thinking like, what, what, what do I do? Like I'm, it could be any minute now, like I'm freaking out. Like what do I do? How do I handle this? Right, how do we prepare for this sudden event when he just appears, right? Jesus keeps going. This is the pastoral part for you and I. Who is, verse 45, then the faithful and wise servant to the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will be put in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with drunkards. The master of the servant will come on the day when he does not expect that at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So according to Jesus, how do we prepare for this? So we need to dig a bunker and, and live underground and, I'm just kidding, that's not what he said, Right? He equipped us. He says, look, there's, there's work to do. Like there's, there's actual work to do. I'm assigning you work in my absence. And I'm going to show up whenever I show up. I need you to be faithful until the end. It's been 2,000 years and we're still here. But the question is still arising from this chapter. Are you going to be faithful as you continue to wait? Because I have work for you to do. I have assigned you something to do. Are you going to be faithful as you Wait. If you look at Matthew 25, the theme repeats. You have two parables plus 
the really extraordinary passage of the sheep and the goats. And the theme is people who are waiting in light of someone's absence who are given a job to be patient and to be faithful. And there's always someone in the story who fell away because they were not faithful. Somebody who gave up faith and said, I just, I'm done with this. I'm just want to keep going. And then it was at that moment that he returned, right? So what do we have to do, guys? What work is there before us as we wrap up our sermon here? There's so much to say. I want to list a few things here because I believe that it's actually very simple. This is not some new like fear-based like rules of like, you better do this. Hope you feel really guilty if you're not doing it. And if he shows up, he's going to like, no, no, no. There's no guilt here. But he, let's look at the mission of the church. Mission of the church that he has asked us to do very clearly. And he's like, I need you to be faithful to these things until the day that I return. Number one, if you look at what he just said at the end of Matthew 24, we have to take care of his house, his church care for one another, care for his people, be diligent in doing so. The leaders say we must carefully lead this church with all anticipation that he is one day at an unexpected hour that he will return and there's no time to lose in our faithfulness to care for his house. And it goes so far in scripture that says when one person is suffering among us that we all suffer We must be on task to be ambassadors for him. Part of his return is all nations hearing the gospel. And there are people that live very near here, neighbors who have never cracked the Bible, don't know anything about Christ or don't know anything about Christianity. We have work to do, friends. Verse John 3 said, but we can't just talk about these things, right? He says, be generous, loving and good works and serving those in need. But if anyone has the world's goods and see his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. I wait if I want to read this. I am going to read this last parable. I'm going to read it. It's a long one. It's um, about 15 verses, but I want to read it. Because Jesus ends Matthew 25 telling us the work that we are to be about doing. We're in an interesting stage of the church. We're repeating this. We know that we are in a stage where we are asking those identity questions. We're getting a roadmap in front of us to begin stepping forward in progress as a church to grow and to be revitalized. These questions of what work are we to be about today is what these kind of end times chapters really surfaces is the main point, right? As we're waiting, we got to be faithful because there's not time to lose. What work is it? To my, I'm sure people have preached on it. I've grown up in church. I was born in a church pew, you know, like some of you in this room were. I've never heard a sermon on the sheep and the goats. Never have. Because it's uncomfortable to read. It's hard to read this. I want to read it though. I want you guys to listen to Jesus' instructions in just the following chapter about his return when he comes in glory. Listen to what he says. If you want to flip over Matthew 25, verse 31, it says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He will put his sheep on the right and his goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did, for the one of the least of these brothers are mine. You did unto me. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's called hell. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and imprisoned and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or imprisoned and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment with the righteous to eternal life. Call up our worship team to make their way forward for a final song as we close here. The work of the church is one of word and deed. And as we faithfully await the return of Christ, we are called to be at work, to be agents of reconciliation, of generosity, of grace, and of love. That must be the things we are known about. That is the, the work that we have been given in church. Are you ready? I know that you guys, I'm not saying you have not done that. I know that many of you, even on the side, many of you, I hear about the secret stuff you guys do and the loving acts that you, you humble people don't tell people about. It makes the way back to me, and I am so grateful when I hear those stories that hit back to me. There's many of you in this room. Continue cultivating those acts of love. Continue sharing the gospel, telling them the good news of the forgiveness of sins and life in him. We must be found faithful when he returns. Let me pray. Jesus, we, we thank you for these truths, Lord. And not all sermons are, are you, we, we leave feeling, you know, good or uplifted and perhaps there's, there's some things in there, but some sermons are just challenges, Lord, where you, you, you set the bar high for your people. You say, there's a lot of work to do. And, I'm, and he's like, if, if I'm still absent, reader, then here's the work for you to do. 
Lord, I pray that you would, you have provided us that work. Lord, may our paths cross with great needs. Lord, I pray that we would pray that dangerous prayer as we leave this place. Lord, would you help my paths cross those who need the gospel, who are in physical need and also in spiritual need. And Lord, may I be the one who sacrificially gives and lives towards and love towards those people. Lord, would our paths cross that week? Would a need arise even in our neighborhoods or in our city here? And will we hear about it to be the first to jump on it in your name, Lord? Would you provide those opportunities even this week? Lord, for those in this room who may need to repent, who may feel that perhaps there is a spiritual complacency in their life, that they've seen opportunities but have neglected to pounce on them. Lord, I pray that we could repent where we need to repent and know, Lord, that there is nothing but grace upon grace upon grace and a new day to, to learn how to do these things, to learn how to stick out our necks for you, Jesus. For those who are actively still doing these things continually and have been for years upon years, Lord, I thank you that you would continue to cultivate a passion for it. And would you guide us as a church to go, uh, to know how to go about doing your work. But above all, would you return, Lord? Would that day come? Lord, our hearts are heavy for the suffering that we hear we hear too much of, Lord. Our hearts are heavy for the suffering. And Lord, when you return, you're, putting, you're gonna put an end to all that suffering is what we hear about next week. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We pray this in your name. Amen.